Alcoholics Anonymous are no crusaders. They're not a temperance society. They know that they must never drink. In this atmosphere, the alcoholic often overcomes his excessive concentration upon himself. Learning to depend upon a higher power and absorb himself in his work with other alcoholics, he remains sober day by day. The days add up into weeks, the weeks into months, and the months into years. And that's what each of us get if we're willing to follow these directions. Well, hello, friends of Bill W. and other friends. You have landed on Sober Speak. My name is John M. I am an alcoholic, and we are glad you're all here, especially newcomers. Newcomers, that is, both to recovery as a whole and newcomers to this podcast. Sober Speak is a podcast about recovery centered around the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. My job here on Sober Speak is simple. My job is to provide a platform to the amazing stories of recovery all around us. Consider Sober Speak, if you will, your meeting between meetings. Please remember, we do not speak for AA or any 12-step community. We represent only ourselves. We are here to share our experience, strength, and hope with those who wish to come along for the ride Take what you want and leave the rest at the curb for the trash man to pick up. Hello, my friends out there. I pray that you are staying safe and healthy during these troubling times, and I'm sure glad you have tuned in. That was the voice of Mr. Stephen F. that you heard at the beginning of this episode, and you will be hearing so much more from him in just a moment, but first things first, this episode right here, right now, at this very moment in time is brought to you by Gretchen and Donald and Lori. Do you know what Gretchen and Donald and Lori did? Well, they, ladies and gentlemen, went to our website, thesoberspeak.com clicked on the little yellow donate tab, and they made a contribution. Muchas gracias to you, Gretchen and Donald and Lori. This episode is coming right out to Ewan's. That's what my dad says. He's from Tennessee. Ewan's. I mean, that's Southern Southern. But nonetheless, I just want to remind everybody again, please be assured that the donations go directly to expenses related to this podcast. We have software subscriptions, hardware. Uh, I will never quote profit from the podcast. Uh, I am just trying to give away what was so freely given to me. This is indeed service work. Now, I, John M., will be the chairperson for this meeting between meetings, and I am truly honored and privileged to serve all of you listening in. So gather up around this virtual table and let's get started. All right, so um, the next live event that we have coming up is on June 5th here in uh, the Frisco, Texas area. I don't know if we're going to be able to have that, but I will keep you posted. And then the final 
Actually, it's not the final. We have another one in September with Samara, and I'll keep you posted on that. And then we have a, the final live event of the year. And let's hope we're all okay by that time. And getting to have gatherings such as this will be December 4th with Mr. Gary K. Yes, the same Gary K that you know from this podcast. And I've been thinking, you know, the old joke about three words you never want to hear an alcoholic say is, I've been thinking. But nonetheless, I've been thinking, and I realized that uh, my little silly podcast is a minuscule part of most of your lives, and I realize you're dealing with some very heavy issues in our world at this time, and and my hope really is that I can provide a, I guess, a, a, a temporary respite uh, from all of that heaviness, and I, as I have said many times, I do realize that there are so many things that you guys could be doing with your time, and I am so thankful that you spend it with me and the guests that I bring on this podcast. I'm just so thankful for that. You guys give me hope, you give me purpose, you give me meaning, and uh, I'm so glad that we found each other and continue to grow that relationship. You know, as usual, I I don't really know exactly what I'm going to say when I start these things off. I say a little prayer. Right now my eyes are closed and I'm kind of hand gesturing and such. I'm talking with my hands. I never know exactly what's going to come out of my mouth, but uh, I do. I say that little prayer before I start. And really, I promise you, more than anything, my, my, my heart yearns to give you all hope. It, 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 it yearns to, to say, be able to say something that will help someone somewhere along the line. And, and I just pray that what comes out of my mouth is from the God of my understanding and not from my own selfish perspective, which I still battle with on a day-to-day basis. There have been a plentitude of new boys and girls that have joined us in the secret Facebook group. And if you're not in that Facebook group and you would like to, there is only one requirement for membership in that group. And that is that you have a Facebook account. Well, I guess there's another requirement. And that is that you know what that email is that is associated to that Facebook. And you must send it to moi. That's for all my French-speaking citizens out there in the land. Moi, I think that's a French word. Isn't moi a French word? Anyway, send it out to me. I am at John, J-O-H-N, at SoberSpeak.com. There is no charge. There's no, uh, um, this is not a, a, a gotcha kind of a thing. It really is just a ton of people that are like-minded in the Facebook group, sharing with each other, and uh, we would love to have you in there if you'd like to be there. Keep in mind, you do not have to be an alcoholic to be in there. Uh, We have plenty of uh, Al-Anons and other 12-step programs are in there. Just come on in and uh, enjoy the fun. If, ladies and gentlemen, this episode or any of the other, uh, 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 excuse me, other episodes have had a positive impact on your life. Please, if you would, pause your device and hit that little 
share button. Not like Sonny and Share, but Share, like S H A R E. Now, wouldn't that be interesting if they had a picture of Share, like a little icon of Share on the Share button? Nonetheless, hit the Share button and share it with a friend or a family member, either this episode or the entire podcast, uh, and let them know that they should be listening in. All right. So, I have one letter that I want to read at the beginning of this, and then I have a voicemail, two bits of listener feedback. And the first piece of listener feedback comes from Lori. As Lori says, our son, Jack B., found your program, your podcast, through his recovery at age 19 last spring and introduced us to your show. We all love it. He uses it as a meeting between meetings. My husband and I both listen into it at various times during the day, me while walking, and we'd like to come to your June event if that stays on the calendar. Well, I hope that it does, and I'd love to meet you guys. Every one of your speakers touches us in a different ways. The episode just recently on Pray for Bryce spoke volumes to me. That's the episode, by the way, right before this one. We have had a TBI for our son's best friend since 11-25-19. I think the TBI is a traumatic brain injury. Anyway, uh, from his, from my son's best friend since 11-25-19, he was 19 then and 20 now, a felony drunk driving. He wasn't the driver, but The family has endured so much and has had a positive attitude like Chris R. did. I still have a cocktail. My husband likes his wine, but we did live through the 80s and kicked the cocaine slash pot habits. Crazy how addiction runs in families. I've been reading the big book and trying to understand all, uh, uh, trying to understand of that so I can relate better to Jack. It was an awful time in our lives, almost lost him, but we've turned it around and learned much and will continue to, and your podcast helps. Anyway, your show is is inspiring. We will do whatever we can when we can to help to support your good work. It is truly appreciated, and we've shared it with many friends. Thanks much in big capital letters. Keep it up in big capital letters. You're a blessing in big capital letters, exclamation point, Lori. Well, I got to tell you, Lori, when I read that email, for whatever reason, you know, and many of these things that are just the right time and the right place. But I teared up a little reading that. Uh, I got. I started thinking about you and your husband and Jack and all of you being involved in this big journey together and growing together. It made me feel sad that you almost lost him, but I'm glad that everyone is moving in the right direction. And now, folks, here is a voicemail from Chris in Pocatello, Idaho. John, this is Chris D. from Pocatello, Idaho. My sobriety date is 11-25-2018. I just wanted to send you a message and thank you so very much for your service. I just had a meeting in between a meeting. And uh, I feel so much stronger and so much uh, committed to AA, my sobriety, and to be able to be of service 
to other people. So thank you so much for enlightening my spirit and being able to be there when we cannot have meetings. You have a great and wonderful day. Thank you. Thank you so much, Chris. Thanks for your kind words and thanks for helping me to stay sober today. If there's other, if there are others of you that would like to leave a voicemail, go ahead and uh, pause your device and you'll see a little uh, link in the show notes. It says speak pipe and leave a message and you can leave a message right there. All you got to do is click on that link and it'll take you to where you can leave a voice message. And don't worry if you don't get it right the first time, it gives you a chance to do it over again. Uh, but it is only 90 seconds. And th- for those of you who are possibly li- long-winded, you can leave two 90-second messages. So anyway, that's how you would leave a message for the program. All right, now on to Mr. Stephen F. Stephen is 35 years sober and comes from a large Brooklyn, New York, full-blooded Italian family. From my perspective, he is the Italian stallion. Stephen's, quote, turning point, unquote, included some federal agents and a helicopter or two. It's quite a story. You'll want to hear that. And we have a discussion on the topic of, and many of you have heard this before, people who say, I am recovered, or I am in recovery, uh, or I'm in recovery, and all that sort of talk. And we have a discussion about it. To me, it's kind of silly, but nonetheless... Stephen talks about step zero in his program. He talks about Dr. Bauer from the back of the big book in the medical view on AA, which is a great chapter in the big book or a great, uh, I guess you call that a chapter. It's a, like a little, uh, it's, a, it's part of the uh, appendix. And uh, he talks about uh, a meeting that he chairs called back to basics. And then we speak about a beautiful prayer that he wrote. And he starts off the episode with this prayer. All right, everybody, buckle up, enjoy the ride. Help me to welcome Mr. Stephen F. And guess what? We will have plenty O for my Irish friends. Listener feedback at the end of this episode. Enjoy. Okay, everybody. So today we are sitting here with Mr. Stephen F. So first things first, Stephen F., why don't you go ahead, just introduce yourself and give you sobriety date if you wish, sir. Thank you, John. My name is Stephen F. I'm a recovered cocaine addicted alcoholic. And by the grace of God, I uh, surrendered on the morning of March 6th, 1985 at 9.30 a.m. And for that, I am eternally Grateful. March 6th, 1985. So you just celebrated 35 years of continuous sobriety? Continuous sobriety. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That is great, Mr. Stephen. And why do you, and I hear a lot of people give their sobriety days, but usually they don't talk about it being 9.30. What was it, 9.35? 9.30. 9.30 a.m. On the nose. In the morning. Oh, yes. Why was 9.30 a.m. significant? Well, you know, the when the big book talks about a turning point in one's life, you know, if you don't have one severe enough to remember, you will be doomed to have to repeat one, Okay. Uh, at 9.30 a.m. on March the 6th, 1985, uh, I needed to make a decision, 
The only problem was I didn't know I needed to make a decision. And even though I, uh, uh, I needed to make a decision, I did not know what decision to make. So I had a little outside help. Uh, as I like to say, uh, a fellow by the name of God sent 15 federal agents and five of their little whirly birds over to pay <laughs> my butt a visit. Oh, wow. And, uh, <clears throat> when that sheriff put his, uh, fist or rather his boot in the middle of my chest and told me the next 60 years of my life were going to be heavily booked up, uh, something for the first time in my life got my attention. And, uh, I consider that a turning point that is very difficult, if not impossible to, for, to forget, you know? Mm. And uh, I'm grateful for that because a lot of people don't have a turning point and they keep having to repeat and and get a renew one. And that's the reason I think a lot of people go back in and out, in and out, in and out. Uh, I'm very grateful I didn't have to repeat that. You know, since I've been in the recovery uh, community and in the recovery program, I have uh, been here. And uh, I consider that a true blessing, you know, true blessing for sure. Wow. I never knew that. We've known each other for a while. I know a bit of your story, but I don't know all of it. But I'm about to find out a little bit more, and I love it. Let's talk on the beginning about this, about the prayer that you—you've told me about it before. I believe you utilize it for various circumstances, and I know there's a special prayer that you have in your life. Yes, yes, I I do. And, uh, you know, working in the recovery community— I realize that I'm a conduit for God's work. You know, what I do and say is not really up to me. It's what he wants to do. And yes, I have a little prayer that I say, whether I'm speaking or whether I'm sharing in a meeting uh, or I'm on my way to a client. But um, here are those words. You know, I'm only here to be truly helpful. I'm here to represent him who sent me. I don't have to worry about what to say or what to do because he who sent me will direct me. I'm content to go wherever he wishes, knowing he goes there with me. I will be healed and awakened as I help others to heal and awaken by the power of God facilitated by the recovery program, the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. And that's a truth in my life that has never failed me. Okay, so did you write that? prayer did you come up with it in your head where did what's the genesis of it the genesis of that was in 1975 when i had no idea that i was uh, an addict or had any problems whatsoever i was still the uh the master of my life and master of my my fate i uh i was introduced to a uh program that had started about that same time uh, a course in miracles and uh through that uh, that uh, introduction, and uh, ten years later, when I was introduced to Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, I remembered some words and some gifts that I was given through that program, and uh, I wrote those words, and uh, it came to be something that I try to live to this day. No matter what I do, no matter where I go. You know, if am I doing it for the glory of Stephen or am I doing it for the glory of God wherever I go with this unbelievable message that I am fortunate to have because I should have been dead a long time ago or electrocuted or whatever else you want to say because of the way I lived. And uh, uh, God allowed me to live and, uh, and to be an example of, uh, as it says in the third step prayer, the second half, take away our difficulties, that victory over them may bear witness to those we would help of thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. You know, uh, I'm clearly an example of, of, of his power. 
because those difficulties that were uh, involved in my life at that point um, uh, are at least greatly diminished, if not gone. You know, and uh, and that clearly is is uh, is a, an example of the freedom that we search for and, and and are allowed to achieve in this program. Not not relief, freedom, freedom from the bondage of self, freedom from this obsession that. Uh, Seemingly, uh, as, as it says, the seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. Uh, that's what the disease wants you to think. It's hopeless. There ain't no, no, n- nothing you can do about it. So you may as well just go, you know, go with the flow and just die, you know, with this, uh, with, uh, with this hell on earth that you have to live on a daily basis. And that's not true. And if there's anything I want to accomplish today is to get that message across to the people who are hearing this. There is hope. Uh, that that lie that that illness wants to uh, you to fall for and believe in is not true, but um, uh, that's the nature of the beast, and uh, you know uh, that's that message that I try to carry. Like I said, everywhere I go. So it sounds to me like you uh, took a version, not a version of it, but you wrote your own third step prayer. You kind of personalized it for you, basically, is what it came down to. Well, it's the clearest way I can describe what we get here, how it works, and um, and uh, my relationship to my God, myself, and my fellow man. Yes, I mean you know uh, th- those first nine steps uh, address that. You know those first three steps about my relationship with God or to reestablish one, my relationship with myself in four, five, six, and seven. You know, Stephen. You need to get well. You have problems. Let God remove them. And eight and nine, how to make the amends to the people that uh, have been in my life that I've offended and how to make it right, you know. Uh, and then 10, 11, and 12 is how to stay that way. How do, how, how do I stay recovered? How do I stay in that state to where I'm, I'm, I'm um, uh, conscious of, of my actions and uh, how they affect uh, not only myself but the people around me? So, Yes. So let's go back to that day, uh, <laughs> March sixth. Uh, the there were federal agents, whirly birds around your house. It had did you have a parking ticket? Uh, <laughs> I was uh, involved in some rather uh, serious illegal activities for the time I was from the time I was about fifteen years old till the time I was twenty seven, twenty eight years old. And uh, because of this uh, army of uh, individuals that I had uh, put together over that course of time, uh, I uh, was able to accomplish some things that, uh, well, they make movies about it, you know. And um, uh, for a long period of time, it worked, you know. And uh, I got to a point to where um, I had retired to some degree. You would say, and uh, what's strange about it is, I became an a a pre, uh, you know a prey to what I had been pushing all those years, and uh, it took over. And I thought that that would never happen to me. Right, you were never above it. happened to me that you know uh, I was well above this, and way too smart to have anything uh, fall to me like a lot of the people that I saw that uh, you know lived in my. Uh, environment but by god uh you know when god wants you to uh, uh surrender to him uh he'll put some things in your life that will bring you to your knees and uh, that's clearly what happened on that morning of march 6 1985 at 9 30 a.m i was so sick 
uh, I didn't think I was sick at all. And I've learned since then that's really sick when you don't even realize how sick you are. Uh, uh, I doubt very seriously if I would have listened to anybody who uh, had any logic or rational, you know, uh, discussions with me about my situation. And I was, uh, uh, I was confident in the fact of that, you know, when you read the ABCs in, in, in our book, on page uh, 60 in our book, I had my own ABCs before I got here. My first ABC was I got myself into this. Second is <clears throat> if you want the job done right, do it yourself. And, and see, you know, uh, I knew you people were crazy and I, uh, I could handle this problem of my own. And clearly that was not the case. But sometimes you have to be reduced to nothing before God really can work in your life. And uh, in my particular case, that was, that was the case. I had to have zero you know, um, uh, options, uh, you know, before I could hear a word that you people said, much less take the actions that those steps in that book requires, I had to take a step that's not on that wall. And I call that step zero. I had to be literally reduced to nothing to make what you offered in any way attractive to me. And, uh, that's the way a lot of people are. You know, they talk about that gift of desperation. Well, I, I, I don't even think I, I had that. You know, the federal government by that time owned me. I had three government agencies. They wanted to put me away for 60 years. You know, uh, no matter how much money I had, no matter what attorneys I could, I could uh, you know, I could pay for, no matter what my family could do for me, they could not help me. I was beyond human power. B. Okay, and I had to be forced in a way to have to go to something greater than me. And uh, fortunately, most of my life, I've always believed in in a God. But as you in the book make it clear, I had to have more than just a belief. I had to have a relationship with him. And it started on that morning because clearly the life that I had lived prior to that was over unless I was just completely insane and foolish enough to try to continue it. And I've, I've known people who have. And uh, they're either locked up in prison or dead. And uh, fortunately, uh, uh, I survived it. And uh, I, I considered the moment in time when it was occurring as the worst day of my life. But looking back at it today, it was without a doubt the greatest thing that ever could happen to me. So I'm, the, the lesson from that is clearly when um, I think um, I've uh, succeeded in my life, I better be very careful about that because that may not be the success that I'm looking for, you know, and, um, uh, some of the things that I thought were the best for me turned out to be the worst thing for me. And what I thought was the worst things for me turned out to be the best. So the paradox of, uh, of, of that is, uh, you know, continues on a daily basis. And, okay. Uh, so you, thing. Oh, I'm sorry. So you, so there's that nine thirty AM in the morning on March 6th. That's right. Were you in a AA meeting by 10 o'clock? No, uh, I was thinking about it yesterday when I was with David. We were having lunch. He treated me to an acai bowl that we go do whenever I'm up here. Yeah, uh, at that point in time, yesterday was uh, we were eating lunch around one thirty yesterday, and one thirty on March the sixth, nineteen eighty five. I was in the federal court building, and that's a story in itself. Oh yeah, that's a real story. You know, when they arrested me and uh, they had me handcuffed, and my driver was sitting next to me in the back seat of the. Uh, you know, the agent's car, uh, as we were driving away the, you know, that little gate that they put between the front seat and the back seat, you know, <laughs> yeah. between you and the officers, they, uh, they decided they were going to 
play a little with Stevie. And uh, one of them turned around and said, um, you think we're federal agents, don't you? And I had just remembered when he said that, that there was this period where there were people impersonating cops and robbing drug dealers for what they had and taking them out somewhere and eliminating them. So here's this guy, this federal agent telling me, you think we're federal agents and they're driving and I have no idea where they're going and no control of where we're going to go. And I looked at my driver and I said, brother, I hope it's not what we're thinking here. And let me tell you something. When they pulled into the federal building, I was never more grateful to see <laughs> uh, federal officers in my life than that. But he got his point across. And again, that's part of why I don't forget March the 6th, 1985 at 9.30 a.m. Because that one has stuck with me. Yes. A yes, little police yes. humor oh, there. Oh, yeah, yeah. And he was, uh, you know, um, it was serious. I needed to hear that, you know, because if I wasn't scared enough or, or, or you know, in some way, uh, uncomfortable with what was going on, that kind of put the icing on the cake there. You know, this is serious business here. Someone's trying to get your attention, and it ain't just the feds. You know, uh, today I look back at that, and my uh, my heavenly father was trying to get my attention. His kid was doing some stuff that he didn't like, and he wanted to wake me up. And, you know, I, like I like to say, before a person can have a spiritual awakening, sometimes we have to have a rude awakening first. And clearly, Yes, that was the case. You know, that was the case. Had you been to any AA or 12-step meetings up to this point? Okay, nothing, nothing recovery-wise. Okay, so how did you find recovery? Well, when I got busted here, um, because of the uh, period of time that transpired between when I got busted and when I was actually working in my with my illegal activities was a period of time where they thought or were under the impression that this was a first time offense and um, I was kind of glad they figured that or thought that because uh, it worked out in my best interest you know I'd hired uh, my attorneys had hired a company uh, uh, I forget the ancient um, National Council on Institutions, They their job was to come up with alternatives that they would present to the court for this individual other than prison, okay? And having done a psychiatric test on me and stuff, they determined that this guy clearly was an addict, addict, you know, alcoholic, you know, and that he needed help. And sending him to prison was not probably going to benefit him and, you know, and um, – uh, it kind of worked, you know. I mean, the the judge asked me if I had any uh, any comments to make before he sentenced me, and I'll I'll never forget that moment in time when he, you know, I'd been uh, uh, locked up in Bastrop Maximal Federal Security Prison for that period of time before my sentencing, and uh, I'd been clean and sober there for probably three months. And when he gave me the opportunity to, to 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 share with him, I said some things. Maybe for the first time, I was as honest as I'd ever been. I said, "Your Honor," I said, first of all, I'm a drug addict and alcoholic," and I really didn't know what that was. But for the first time in my life, in many years, I'm clean and sober. And you know, I I I, I don't know what else to say to you other than the fact of 
that I'm willing to pay the consequences of my actions, whatever you deem see fit. Now, I, I knew nothing about AA, and, and, and as you see some of the slogans on the wall, you know, let go and let God. At that moment in time, I was letting go and letting God, even though I never heard let go and let God before, because I had no other thing to say, and I had no other place to go other than the mercy of the court. And um, I said to him again, one more time, you know, uh, whatever you deem see fit is the consequences of my actions. Because while I was locked up, I realized, you know, you're going to have to start all over a life that you have no idea where you're going because I had never really had a legitimate job. I had never worked within the world, as it says, you know, I never had a nine to five and I was going to have to go out there at uh, 30 years old to uh, start my whole life all over again. And, um, and that was a little scary, you know, for sure. The U.S. attorney looked at him after I shared. And he says, uh, Your Honor, we thought we had us a big shot here, but he ain't nothing but a drug-crazed maniac. <laughs> and uh, I looked at him silently and said, uh, Thanks a lot, man, you know. <laughs> for your crimes against the United States government, a three counts of conspiracy and one count of possession, I sentence you to 10 years. And he pauses. Now, you know, when you go to one of those movies that has those, you know, those horror movies that has that moment where it just kind of takes your breath away and, you know, and you don't know, you're not sure what's going to happen next. And I and, and, and here I have been in, you know, in prison for a while thinking about, Steve, can you handle 10 years? Can you handle 15? Can you handle 20? Because, you know, each one of those counts carried 15 years, right? And all I knew was is that I couldn't live that way anymore and whatever I had to do to, to make it right. I was willing to do. And he says, 10 years. And he goes suspended. He says, five years probation. Now, I thought I heard what he said was correct. But when I knew what he had said was correct was when I looked at my attorneys and their jaws were on the floor. Because they told me from the very beginning, Steve, you're going to prison. The only question is, is how, how long? long? And this is not what happened here, you know. Uh, now let me let me make very clear that the old Steve up to this point in time would have looked at that situation and gone, "See, see, they can't get me, man." You know, one more time, I can beat the deal. And if that had been the case, I probably wouldn't be sitting here telling you this story because mm -hmm. I would have gone back out and foolishly done what I had been doing and tried to use that as the solution to my problem. Ramped up the business um, again. But clearly for the first time, you know, if I had had a belief in God up to that point in time, uh, believe me, uh, I knew it was much stronger than that because God was basically saying to me, and this is the way I choose to see it. You know, I'm giving you a second chance. Let's see what happens to you. You know, he, he made it very clear that it was not going to be necessary for me to have to go to prison and recruit people, you know, <laughs> to whatever I was going to be doing in, in my future from that point of view. Um, uh, so how I got involved in AA was the part of the agreement with the court was that I was going to be uh, going to get some treatment. You know, uh, it was not a request. It was basically uh, you're going to treatment, you know. Now, to tell you, to show you again how crazy and sick I was, I'll never forget my mother drives me from Austin, Texas to um, – to this uh, treatment center in Dallas called Help Is Possible. And being the fact that this was a federal crime, I pretty much had an option to pick any federal treatment center in the whole country. 
And of all the places I picked is a place called Help is Possible in Dallas, Texas, which at the time was this old church turned into a treatment center, which had been from the old days, a taxi station to a brothel to a church and now was a treatment center, okay, (laughs) on Ross Avenue, literally just down the street from the 24-hour club, okay? And I think it's a historical site now uh, because the building was just something that had been around for for years. And I'll never forget pulling up. uh, As we were pulling up, two people who were working there had just quit because the building had started to cave in and their office ceiling caved in. And if they had been in the office when it happened, they'd be both dead. So they said, we can't work here anymore. So they're leaving. <laughs> and we're checking in as these people are walking out, you know. And I'll never forget, man. I walk in. I meet some of these counselors. And they're looking at me, you know, and uh, going, oh, just an, a new guy in here. And I go, look, you know, the judge just asked you for, for you all to check me out. And, you know, and, you know you're going to tell them I'm okay and sign some paper and I can leave. You know, and they started laughing. I said, no, seriously, man, the judge wants you to just check me out, you know, you know, write down that I'm okay, you know, and that everything's fine. And he said, Steve, 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 that's not what's happening here. Steve, you're going to be here a while. (laughs) See, you see, Steve, you have brain damage. And we're not just talking about the kind of brain damage you have from all that drinking and drugging you did. When you're the kind of guy, Steve, when the shit hits the fan, you like to go home and figure it out. And if you're the only one you're getting your information from, Steve, you're getting some pretty sick information. (laughs) So, Steve, you're going to be here for a while. Now, this was a six-month treatment center, okay? Six months minimum you're there. And to give you an idea of how do you live there? Oh the yeah. Facility? Oh, it's a twenty-four. You're not going nowhere. No, it's an in. It's a residential treatment <laughs> right. center, and it's pretty severe. You know, at the time, um, there was fifty beds, twenty-five men, twenty-five women, and uh, just to give you an idea to the to the layperson or the newcomer out here of how how difficult to some degree and challenging recovery is. Most of the people that were there were indigent people who uh, were given an option by the court, either go to prison for 10 years or you go to treatment. Now, if you got any sense of sanity, or, you know, you'll, you'll go to right. treatment, you know, versus 10 years in the bed. But after the first 30 or 60 days that a guy is here, the challenge of having to look at oneself and to challenge your beliefs and be willing to surrender to a process that is going to transform you, there were probably 75 to 90 percent of the people who decided to go to prison after that than to serve the six months getting well wow. okay because one of the things i've learned about recovery and people who need to be in we're very irresponsible we don't want to be pressured and at least those people knew where for the next 10 years they were going to sleep what they were going to eat and they didn't have to worry about paying no rent or having to go to work or a job even though they were living on some level of accountability you know being supervised by you know federal agents and uh uh it was just an amazing thing to see how 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 permeated this disease will get you to the point to where I'd rather just stay who I am and suffer those consequences than to change my life. And all I can say is, is that uh, God must open my heart and mind to the truth of what was really being offered to me. And I must've taken it up on it because I stayed, I stayed not only for six months, I was there for 10. Some of us are sicker than others because it still <laughs> took me three months, even though I was in there, to really admit 
I was an alcoholic, that I was an addict, and that I was powerless, and my life was unmanageable. We will be continuing, <clears throat> excuse me, our conversation with Steve and F in just a moment. Just a reminder, you're listening to Sober Speak. You can find us on the World Wide Web, the interweb, at www.soberspeak.com. There you'll find uh, 120, 125 other episodes you can listen to for free. You can also find the donate button on our website, which you can use if and only if the spirit moves you to do such and you feel very comfortable about it. Please keep in mind, this is a podcast funded by you, the Listeners, Sober Speak is a self-supporting through our own contributions. We are not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization, or institution. We do not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorse nor oppose any causes. All right, now back to Mr. Stephen F. So what I've been thinking about while you were describing this time, you talked about your mom there a little bit, but mm-hmm. what are your family and your friends going through at this time? Well, you know, I'm the oldest of seven, full-blooded Italian family. And uh, my parents were both the babies in their respective families. Mm. And uh, they married each other. Two babies of a family marry each other, and one is waiting for the other one to take charge. (laughs) (laughs) Because, you know, they've been taken care of most of their lives because they each have come from families that have seven or eight brothers and sisters. And my father uh, uh, was in the uh, ladies' uh, ready-to-wear business in Brooklyn, New York. This is where I was born. The ladies what? Ladies ready to wear business, clothing business. Okay. And uh, he, uh, from a very young age, was involved in the, uh, after he got out of the uh, service in World War II, he got into the uh, garment industry. The garment uh, uh, part of town in, in New York is big, you know, the fashion industry, you know, and he got involved in that. Uh, as he likes to say, I, he loved dressing women. And, uh, I, <laughs> me and him had a conflict because I liked undressing them. Okay, you know. But anyway, you know, okay. he uh, used to mess with me in that respect. But uh, it was always a joke between the two of us. And uh, uh, he got an offer uh, from a uh, business associate here in Dallas, and uh, he took him up on it. And we leave Brooklyn, New York. We're all their brothers and sisters, and all their relatives lived. We came to nowhere, okay, Dallas, Texas. There were people, you know, believe it or not, uh, it's not hard to believe, but uh, they thought we were Mexicans, you know, because uh, we were dark-complected, you know, people, you know. And uh, one thing about my mother, who's a little old Italian lady, uh, you don't misconstrue the difference between Italians and Mexicans. Not that she had any problem. She was very... Uh, forceful with who she was and what she did and how she believed uh, uh, she was raised. And, I understand. Uh, just so you, just as a as a side note to that, I'm I am of a Scottish background, right? And I asked my grandmother once when I was real little. I said, "Are are we Irish or Scottish?" She went, "Oh man!" She about lost it. Right. Like, okay, I'll never right. make that mistake again. Right. So I understand. Right. Well, I have a kind of a resentment towards the fact that they moved, and it, it's nothing that big. But I did miss out on all my family and culture because all the relatives were back there. I missed out on the Italian language, which I wish I could have been a part of and learned. Uh, the only time I ever heard, heard my mother speak Italian was when she was talking to her mother back in Brooklyn. Okay. Other than that, there was no need to, for us to speak Italian because there was nobody else to speak Italian to. And, uh, I remember going back and forth over the years, you know, going to meet 
and spend time with my other relatives, my uncles and aunts from both sides, my cousins. And, uh, but that was about it. I mean, you know, when you see these movies, you know, um, uh, moonshine or, you know, the one chair was in, you know, yeah. I, I mean, you see that culture, I would have been a part of all that, but then again, who knows what kind of gangster I would have been, uh, developed into if I had lived there, you know, and, and, you know, we saw what happened not living in Brooklyn, you know, uh, and well, what, even what it was I, moon I lit. Moon, what was it? Moon, moon something. Moon, but you're saying you're the, you're a, you're an alcoholic thinking moonshine. Moonshine. But. Yeah, yeah. What was, was it? Cher and, and, and Nicholas Cage? Will, right, right. Oh Somebody will God, email man. me. Well, great movie. Great movie. You know, she won an Oscar for it. You <laughs> right, know, for right. for that movie. But um, anyway, um, uh, that was a part of the deal that I think I uh, resent because I wish I. Could have learned. How old were you language. when you came down here? We were, I was probably no more than a year or two at the most. Okay, so you were a baby baby. Oh, yeah. And then my, 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 I had a brother that was born shortly after we got to Dallas. He died from some illness, some virus that they probably could have cured today. But, you know, he died three or four months after he was born. Then my sister Donna. Then my brother Frankie. Then my brother uh, uh, or my sister Agnes. Then my brother Peter. Then my brother John, and uh, uh, was one after the other, and uh, we had a big family. We we're very close. Uh, but to answer your question, you know, looking back today at uh, at uh, my family, um, uh, I divide my family into two groups. The people who are in a 12-step program and people who need to be in a 12-step program. Mm. And fortunately, as I travel down the road of my own addiction, most of my brothers and sisters did too. But I'm happy and proud to say that each and every one of them also followed me into recovery. And every one of them are recovered. Really? And addicts. Absolutely. And that is absolutely. And it was not through me. You know, you would think that, you know, they would come to me, you know, since they followed me down the path of addiction and alcoholism, they would also follow me in the, but they didn't, you know, they, they saw me and what I was doing and how serious I took my recovery. And they pretty much did the same thing in their own way. And my brothers are very successful. My sisters are very successful. My brother is the, uh, my brother Frankie is the general manager of Coca-Cola in central Texas. My uh, brother John, who's the youngest, uh, is right underneath him. Uh, my sister Agnes, ironically, is the senior vice president of marketing for Anheuser Busch. Okay, you know, <laughs> and every year, guess what I get from them? But you know, we all say, "Hey, I'm going to give it to the homeless or the poverty stricken or whoever needs a drink." You know, but it ain't me. And uh, we, uh, you know, we have a little fun about that. Uh, but uh, my sister Donna, who's the oldest sister, uh is a uh, uh, senior vice president of marketing for IBM, and uh, and they've all been very uh, very blessed in uh, and what they're able to accomplish in their lives, and we all are very close, very close. My mother and father have passed away, uh, but at least they could see their oldest, who they thought was the most crazy, sober for thirty years before they passed and moved on, and uh, I'm very proud of the fact that they were able to see me. Get my life uh, in order. So, in order. Yeah. That's great. Okay, so how do we summarize in a few minutes your 35 years of sobriety? Uh, I, I know it's not really possible, but where do you want to start? Well, you know, I, I was as we were driving over here, I remembered what my first sponsor uh, did with me. He handed me this book. 
Big book. You're pointing the to the physical big, big book. book. Yes. Mm-hmm. He handed me this big book. He asked me to open it up to the title page of this big book, which I'm almost embarrassed to say, but I know people who have been in this program 10, 15, 20, 30, even as many as 40 have never read the title page of this book. Alcoholics Anonymous, the story of how many thousands of men and women have recovered from alcoholism. Wow. Sounds like a book that an alcoholic might want to read. Uh, Clearly, it got my attention. And so let's talk about what they mean by recovered. Because people, there's, there's, uh, you know, the book, just to be clear, uses the term both recovered and it uses in recovery. Uh, There's both of those. But what's your interpretation of that? Well, just to address what you just said, yes. The word recovered is mentioned 17 times in the first 164 pages. And the word recovering is mentioned once in the chapter to the wives, okay, while your husband is recovering. The only time you will see in the first 164 pages a word other than recovered, okay? Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm dying of pancreatic cancer, I want to meet a guy who's recovered from pancreatic cancer, not someone who's recovering or, you know, we don't know what's happening with him. And, you know, if you, if you, as the book says, we shout at the newcomer that we're a man with an answer or a woman with an answer, a real answer that they need to hear. Because if you're coming to Alcoholics Anonymous or you're coming to any 12-step program, what are you looking for? You're looking for a solution to your problem. What is that? You know. And for many of us, we try to find that out on our own first. And we realize that we can't do it amongst ourselves. We got to go somewhere else. And hopefully you ain't di- dead beforehand. Okay, And you make it to AA. Or make it to CA, or make it to wherever you know twelve step program you know you're 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 willing to do, and uh, you know the, after thirty five years I, I I can basically say to you that I follow those directions to the, the best of my ability, and as I shared in a meeting yesterday, a little paragraph that pretty much describes you're asking me to describe thirty five years. Well, I shared this in a meeting yesterday. I share it all the time whenever I can. But in the very back of this book, in the medical view. There's a doctor who was not an alcoholic. He was not one of us, but he paid attention to us so closely. He wrote some words that I think describe who we are, what we do, and what we get better than anybody that's ever described this. And is again, this Dr. he is not. Um, no, this is Doctor Bauer. Okay, W. Gotcha, w. Bauer. Bauer. Yes, okay? yes. You know, and and he and he and he quoted this and said this. You know, as it says in the auspices of the American Medical Association of 1946, uh, an NBC network. He goes, Alcoholics Anonymous are no crusaders. They're not a temperance society. They know that they must never drink. In this atmosphere, the alcoholic often overcomes his excessive concentration upon himself, Mm. learning to depend upon a higher power and absorb himself in his work with other alcoholics. He remains sober day by day. The days add up into weeks, the weeks into months, and the months into years. And that's what each of us get if we're willing to follow these directions. Pretty simple. You know, uh, the hardest thing you may ever do but if you're trying to do it on your own, it's going to be really hard, if not impossible. If you're doing it with God, which I cannot imagine anyone trying to accomplish any of these 12 steps without the power of God in their life, um, you're probably not going to be real happy with the results. You know? You've know, you got to do it with a power greater than yourself. These things are only designed to be done with a power greater than yourself because to do that, you have to surrender who you are. So... Uh, 
that's pretty much, uh, you know, what I can say about these uh, last 35 years. Uh, so let me ask you a question then. You are involved in a couple different organizations and also one event that I go to during the year uh, or have been to at least once, uh, and that is the the Thanksgiving dinner dinner. Thanksgiving excuse me. And I just recovery. said dinner. Yes. 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 Uh, and then also you're involved in an organization called the Firing Line, correct? Firing Line is a CA group. Okay. It's a twelve step uh, cocaine anonymous. Cocaine Anonymous was started in the early 80s, basically for the reason of Alcoholics Anonymous was not a comfortable setting for a lot of duly addicted people. And CA was started with the fact of, let's be one stop, one shop for, you know, one stop shopping for all these drug addicts, alcoholics, and be smart enough not to have to rewrite the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We use the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We just change one word in the first step powerless over cocaine you know but cocaine and all other mind-altering substances i got people who've never used cocaine that come to cocaine anonymous i people have people who just smoke marijuana who just drank who just did this but the point is is that you're in a setting where you're comfortable to tell your real story it was very difficult for me to sit in an aa meeting and go i was down in trout in south dallas trying to score some alcohol when that was not my truth my truth was i was trying to score you know cocaine or heroin or whatever else right. but you know you have to respect the traditions of alcoholics right. anonymous yeah. and that's right. what we're here to do you yeah. know respect each other so that's how uh cocaine anonymous was born and uh, so were you involved in the firing line from the beginning uh, almost almost from the very beginning yeah. and it's been around uh, for- some people introduced it to well i was first introduced to uh, cocaine anonymous in 1985 when it was really new in dallas okay it had started in california probably around 1982 by some individuals who uh like i said wanted to have a 12-step program which made these duly addicted people more comfortable okay they were being shamed in an alcoholics anonymous meeting we don't want you here you know go somewhere else narcotics anonymous had their own you know start uh, uh but they also wrote their own book too why fix if it ain't broke you know the big book of alcoholics anonymous is the answer and 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 many entities have borrowed our 12 steps and, and aa was kind enough to lend them those 12 steps and uh there's probably over 400 entities that use the 12 steps of alcoholics anonymous for whatever their you know affliction is and clearly if there's anything that alcoholics anonymous has done for the world uh by the fact of that it's not only a solution but it's shown that one person with an affliction can be of great assistance to someone with the same affliction whatever that affliction is you know who's going to listen to somebody who's not had that same problem you know overeaters listening to overeaters you know gamblers listening to gamblers sex addicts listening to sex i mean they're not going to listen to nobody if you don't know what you're talking about because otherwise you're just talking you know suggesting something that you don't know and usually that person will walk away going what do they know they don't understand And those are probably the most repeated three words you don't understand are the most repeated words out of people who are not around people who understand where they're coming from. Because I can no longer use that excuse if I'm once I was in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. No, because you do understand. And that's the reason I've kept coming back for 35 years and a whole bunch of other people. But um, I'm involved in uh, in a meeting that I've been chairing for over 20 uh, years. Uh, uh, it's a format that was used in the early days and it's a, it, it's a reenactment of, of, of the way the steps were taken in the early days when, as it says in the, uh, forward to the second edition, they had a 50 to 75% recovery rate called back to basics for the last, uh, for Wednesdays, for the last 
20 years, I've chaired a meeting where we take the steps precisely as it says in the big book of alcohol and anonymous. And we do that within a 30 day period of time. Is that a AA meeting? It's an AA meeting that I do at, at our firing line, uh, through the, uh, meeting of, um, a Trinity group that I used to belong to, which some people think is folded, but it still exists. Not anything like it was back in those days, but we kept it, uh, you know, so it's under the uh, flag of uh, Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, yes, it's a very, very powerful um, uh, uh, meeting. You know, we're not there to discuss the steps. It doesn't say these are the steps we discussed, thought about, or tried to put off. These are the steps we took. And in this meeting, the purpose of this meeting is one thing and one thing only. These are the steps we're going to take with each other. And you've really uh, never seen uh, anything like 30 people, 40 people. I've had as many as 125 people being in that meeting at one time, getting on their knees and saying the third step prayer together. Powerful experience. Having that many people get on their knees and say the seventh step prayer together. Powerful experience. You know, uh, there's something that, that, that combines people when the people are going to war even though they're not doing the fighting anymore because every time I fought, I got my ass whipped. God's doing the fighting now. God is, you know, uh, is, is, is what's running the show. And, you know, you asked earlier about a recovered alcoholic. I can't imagine it being more described than in the words on page 84. What is a recovered alcoholic? Well, first of all, it's not a cure. Clearly it's stated on page um, 85 in the book book. You know, what we have here is a, is a daily reprieve, and reprieved is defined by Webster's as delayed execution for one sentence to death. Delayed execution for one sentence to death. That is a reprieve on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. And as these words on page 84 and, and the top of page 85 say, I think clearly address one thing and one thing only, what it means to be a recovered alcoholic. And we have ceased fighting anything or anyone, even alcohol, for by this time sanity will have returned. We will seldom be interested in liquor. If tempted, we recoil from it as from a hot flame. We react sanely and normally, and we will find that this has happened automatically. We will see that our new attitude toward liquor has been given us without any thought or effort on our part. It just comes. That is the miracle of it. We are not fighting it, neither are we avoiding temptation. We feel as though we have been placed in a position of neutrality, safe and protected. We have not even sworn off. Instead, the problem has been removed. It does not exist for us. We are neither cocky nor are we afraid. That is our experience, and that is how we react, so long as we keep in fit spiritual condition. If if one reads this paragraph clearly, it says one thing and one thing only. The obsession to drink has been removed. Does it say I'm going to be a perfect human being from there? No. No. Does it say I'll never make a mistake again? No. It says that the obsession will be removed. And that is the first thing that needs to be addressed to have someone in a truly recovered state. Does it say I can't break my leg again tomorrow? I sure can if I don't stay in fit spiritual condition. And before I have a relapse into drinking or drugging, it's usually that the tumors of our disease, which are selfishness, dishonesty, and resentment and fear, build up to a point to where I can't do anything else but get some relief and I need a drink or a shot of dope, okay? That is that spiritual condition that we lose if we don't stay in that state. And that reprieve begins to uh, be called on. Um, Powerful stuff. The words are so appropriate here. But, you know, some people have a uh, difficulty 
introducing themselves as recovered. They think it's unhumble to uh, to to say that I'm recovered. Uh, they would rather say I'm recovering. Well, you know, then we better change the name of the Alcoholics Anonymous Recovery Program to the Alcoholics Anonymous Get a Little Bit Better Program, okay? Because if you can't recover, then what are we doing here? You know, what is this program about? But you have to understand what recovered means, okay? Clearly, it does not mean cured, as it says in the next paragraph. It's easy to let up on the spiritual program of action and rest on our laws. We're headed for trouble if we do for alcohol is a subtle fault. We are not cured of alcoholism. What we really have is a daily reprieve contingent on the maintenance of our spiritual condition. Every day is a day we must carry the vision of God's will into all of our activities. I challenge anyone, first of all, to uh, go through those first 164 pages as I was challenged and to underline everywhere you see the word recovered in the first 164 pages. I think it'll give you a, a different idea of what the word means to you and to the writers who uh, wrote these uh, these uh, words on these first 164 pages, um, I think it'll kind of uh, get your attention on what that word means to you. I think that's a wonderful place to wrap it up. I, I, I've uh, enjoyed this thoroughly. So if somebody wanted to find that meeting back to basics here in the North Texas area, yes, what, sir. How, do they just search it on the internet? Do you yeah, know? we're on the on the CA website, you know, uh, or or the uh, uh, excuse me, no, it's not on the CA website. It's on the um, AA website, AA, you right. know, or should be, you right. know. Uh, uh, we we our our firing line meetings are held at uh, Highland Oaks Church of Christ, which is at one zero eight zero five Walnut Hill Lane, Dallas, Texas. And that meeting uh, goes on every uh, Wednesday night at 7.30. We start all over every first Wednesday of the month. We start step one, go through all 12 steps in, in that period of time. Now, every once a quarter, we have a, a month that has five Wednesdays. And on that fifth Wednesday of whatever month has those five, we it's all on step 11, how to listen to God. And uh, it's a meditative meeting that, uh, I mean, uh, you know, during the course of these last 20 years, we've probably taken anywhere from 10 to 15,000 people through this work. It's uh, a lot of people, yeah. you know, who hopefully have carried this message to others and uh, who have started their own back to basics meeting. I was part of helping uh, uh, back to basics get started at some of the biggest treatment centers in this country. You know, Betty Ford, Hazleton, you know, um, a pine uh, Her- pine uh, Hearst in uh, Mississippi, um, Pine Grove, excuse me. Um, these are places that m- make back to basics. And if you're going to be there, let's get this work done. And some insurance companies only uh, will pay for 30 days. So at least you can go through the steps once while you're there. If you're there for 90 days, you get to go through it three times. So, uh, hey, the better tooled up you are, the better success you're going to have with your recovery and, and more so the ability to carry this message to the, uh, to the suffering uh, addict alcoholic. And uh, that's the greatest privilege we have is to finally have all those liabilities that were following us be turned into assets because what you used to destroy you, now you can use to help and carry a message to others. I love it. Thank you, Mr. Stephen F. Uh, John, thank you, sir. It was a privilege, as always. I'm going to read a little something here from uh, the book to close this out. It's on page 164 of the book. It says, abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely 
of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us, like me and Mr. Stephen, as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Once again, Stephen, thank you so much. Thank you, John. God bless you. Thank you, Mr. Stephen F., for your words of wisdom. I appreciate you sitting down with me and sharing your story here for the Sober Speak audience. And uh, if any of you would like to reach out to Mr. Stephen F., feel free to contact me at John, J-O-H-N, at SoberSpeak.com, and I will be more than happy to pass on your comments to Mr. Stephen F., or if you want to contact me about any of the other speakers that we have had as guests on the program, feel free to reach out. Or if you just want to say, hello, John, feel free to do such. Feel free to do such. All right, now on to a little bit of a listener feedback for you, uh, The first piece of elicitor feedback we have is from Bridget, and Bridget writes in. Now, I want to tell you, Bridget is somebody who is near and dear to the Sober Speak podcast. In other words, she writes up the description episodes, the the, uh, episode summaries, I guess is what you would call it, for each and every podcast that I release. And she does that for service work. And she does it to stay connected to the program. And she does it because she likes the podcast. And I am so appreciative of Miss Bridget and what she does every single week. If you've ever looked at a description uh, in the show notes is what they call it of the various uh, episodes that I released and you see anything written in there uh, that describes the actual podcast, that is Miss Bridget that is creating all of that. And I'm uh, I'm just so thankful that she does it. She does a fantastic job because I, moi, am not a writer. Uh, for whatever reason, uh, it's just not my thing. As you can tell, I'm a little bit of a talker. You know what I mean? Anyway, Bridget writes in, and she is from down south of the border. And she says, hope you all are surviving the changing times well. Things are just starting to ramp up in the Yucatan, which where she where, which is where she's from. Everyone is to stay at home except for obtaining essential services. Well, you know, that's why I'm putting out this podcast because I consider myself an essential service <laughs> anyway. She says it's quite weird that this has been one of the biggest gifts for me and I am actually at peace. God bless you, Miss Bridget. I am for the first time experiencing the blind faith I have heard so many talk about in the rooms, but I had never known. How beautiful, Bridget. I know that there will be some changes in my life, but I am going to be okay. And this separation from self-centered chaos gives me a chance to redefine my life moving forward and fill it with the stuff that lights me up and less of the stuff that dims that dims me. Peace from south of the border, Bridget. Well, Bridget, that is a beautiful bit of feedback. I'm so glad you wrote that to me, and you stay well down there south of the border. And as I was writing about that, I was just thinking about how 
How, there's several different things we've done here in my family over the past uh, several weeks that have just been things we would not have done otherwise. Like my my daughter just came home with a uh, uh, a chameleon. She she thought about what she wanted to do with her time off, and she decided she wanted a pet. And me and my son and her actually are all uh, very allergic to furry animals so we can't have furry animals in the house so she has to figure out how to navigate that and she is in there just playing with that chameleon and loving that well i shouldn't say playing with it you don't really play with a chameleon but anyway she's getting the whole thing set up and she's just really having a blast and uh, I'm, i'm so thankful that she's able to do that but i will say this they told me earlier today that apparently the chameleon this one, the one we have, does not change colors because it's a female. I think that's the reason it doesn't change colors. And I'm like, hey, what's the use of having a chameleon if it doesn't change colors, right? Uh, I mean, that's the whole deal with a chameleon. But, you know, I, I guess uh, I'll just have to live with it. Anyway, Katie G posted in the Facebook group. She had a couple of things here that she posted And one of them was, uh, and I've seen this in a couple of other places, but this was the first time I saw it. She says, never in my whole life would I imagine my hands would consume more alcohol than my mouth. (laughs) Oh, we got to have a little fun with this, right? And then she said, and there was another one, and it said, after all the stupid things I've done in my life, if I die... Because I touch my face, I'm going to be pissed. (laughs) I'm sorry. I just thought that was so funny. Anyway, let me go on here so you guys can get on with your life. Spencer writes in. He says, John, I am a grateful recovered alcoholic from Nolens, Louisiana, New Orleans, Louisiana. And I hope you guys are doing all right down there in New Orleans. Uh, Mr. Spencer, I know it's a little bit of a hot spot for this uh, COVID-19 right now. Anyway, he says, coming from an alcoholic mother, I felt like I was doomed to have the same future as her, which kept my drinking at an all-time high for as long as I can remember. In and out of treatment almost 20 times, I never believed I would get and stay sober forever with or without God's help. I was placed in a group of people who believe in working the steps of AA page by page and word by word how Bill and Bob intended them to be. I have found some ease and comfort in the program of AA through sponsors, Unity and service. I try and live in all sides of the triangle every day of my life. I found you guys from a tweet by Mr. Ryan L saying that he celebrated eight years of sobriety on Twitter this morning. So I searched the internet to see if he was on a speaker's tape anywhere. And voila, I found your website, John. I am available for anyone, alcoholic or non-alcoholic, at any point in time. I want to give away freely what was so given to me Thanks for the invite to the Facebook group, and I look forward to getting to know everybody in the group, Spencer. Well, thank you, Spencer. That's fantastic. Uh, What a beautiful uh, piece of feedback. I I really do appreciate it, Uh, and uh, you guys stay stay safe down there uh, uh, in Nolens. 
Darlene writes in and she says, Hi, John. Well, I have listened to every single one of your podcasts now on Sober Speak, double exclamation point. I was introduced to your podcast in January of 2020, and I love it. Thanks to you, I am part of the secret Sober Speak group. Uh, on April 22nd, coming up here, I will have one year of sobriety. Yeehaw! Thanks to the thanks to your podcast, Zoom, and social media, I am still plugged into my program amongst COVID-19. Wow. I thought the first 30 days of sobriety was rough. <laughs> the last several weeks and heading to the year mark has really tested me on many levels. I know God is in control, but my spiritual walk and lack of physical contact with sponsor, fellowship, and church makes me very sad and depressed. I, I understand that, Darlene. Reasons I would drink over, right? I get it. Now, I acknowledge it, share it, and believe that this superimposed I like that. Superimposed isolation is temporary and meant to draw me closer to my HP, who I call God. Thank you for your service. Hope to meet you and your family someday, Darlene. Well, I hope to meet you someday, Darlene, as well, with me and my family. Hopefully, you can come up. Since you're, where are you? I can't remember. Are you? I didn't. I didn't see. I don't. You may be near me. You may not. You could be in another country. You know, folks, we have a hundred countries that listen in on this thing now. Uh, over a hundred. Now, some of the countries I've never even heard of. I didn't know they were a country, but. They're out there listening, and I hear from some of you. So anyway, Darlene, you could be in one of those countries, or you could be in my neighborhood. I don't know. But anyway, thank you for writing in. Anicia writes in from Down Under. She says, hey, John, greetings from Down Under. It has been a while since I emailed and long overdue. Why ain't that truth there, Miss Anicia? To start, I want to say how much I love, in big capital letters, Sober Speak, you have been ahead of this corona curve, bringing beautiful speakers and their stories to us long before Zooming was a daily part of life. I hope y'all are keeping safe and staying sanish in quarantine. There's a lot of talk over anonymity and people bombing or being disruptive in all the Zoom meetings. When I spoke to my grand sponsor in Texas, I know who that is, Miss Vinoy. By the way, we're going to have Miss Vinoy on the podcast sometime here in the near future. In the near future, she reminded me that we can focus on the good, the benefits of online meetings for us to share in fellowships far outweigh the negative. I couldn't agree more. I've been able to sit in meetings with my grand sponsor, my sponsor, and all of us, quote, babies from every corner of the world. It really is, I-S, big I-S, it is a worldwide fellowship. What I love most is seeing our fellowship rise to the occasion and adapt. Our unity is palpable. Very well said, Miss Anicia. She's not done, but I just thought that was very well said. End of last year, I had the privilege of meeting Bill C. in person. Oh, great. He came to Australia along with other fantastic speakers for an AA rally, and the Aussies loved him. Last week on Sober Speak, Bill said something like he wondered if people thought he was as handsome meeting him in person. 
as they would as they thought he would be uh, listening to him on an AA tape. I had a good belly laugh at that. An untreated Al-Anon, i.e., an Ala-Gator. Uh, I don't think I've ever heard that before. In full flight, would have would only have one response to that. Even better, LMAO. And if I'm not mistaken, I believe that is laughing mom behind off. Anyway, she says every speaker you've listened to, every speaker you've hosted in 2020 has been incredible. You know, we're lucky, Miss Anicia, that we have a lot of really talented people in Alcoholics Anonymous. And anyway, she says, I've heard exactly what I needed from each one. God is working through them and you the platform for them to carry a message. I can't thank you enough from that. Aside from the usual suspects, Jimmy D, Bill C, Gary K, David G, I absolutely love Renee E, episode 125, and Joe M, episode 117. Two brilliant women with a great message. I got a lot of I got a lot out of both talks before reading from the keys to the kingdom. That's a a story in the back of the big book, Renee reference. She says, Renee told us that she had bookmarked that passage and yet it was as if she never read it before. Well, after the talk, I got the, the big book out, turned to that page and I found it and I bookmarked that myself with a beautiful leaf. It's not an Australian leaf. What? I put it there years ago. Oh, okay. I put it there years ago in my travels living overseas. I can't remember where it came from, but it was perfectly pressed on that page. It was a goosebump moment when I realized I was doing the same as Renee described, like I was reading it for the first time. Talk about a God wink. Exclamation point. And Joe M, I can still hear hear her voice. She's living a way of life that is a great example of AA. XX. I'm assuming uh, XX means kiss, kiss uh, in uh, Australia as well. Anywho, she says you're doing an amazing job with, quote, the role he has assigned, unquote. Oh, I look forward to Sober Speak every week. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Anicia. Oh, my goodness, Anicia. You made my day. Thank you for writing in from down under. Tell all the people, tell all the Aussies down there that we said hello. I appreciate it. All right. Jason writes in and Jason says, hey, John, Jason L. here from Redondo, or is it, I think it's Redondo, but this is Redondo, but I think it's Redondo Beach, California. Anyway, he says, still love your show. I've been listening since October of last year when I had to go out of town on work and needed support in a strange new environment. Speaking of strange new environments, we're living in that now, right? Anyway, he says, your show slash, meet, slash meeting has been a big part of that. Now I am back home in quarantine and I need support yet again. Thanks again, John. Cheers, Mr. Jason L. Thanks, Mr. Jason L. out there in California. And I know you're near Mr. Bill C. Anyway, Melanie writes in and Melanie says, thanks for the invite to the secret Facebook, jo- uh, to the secret Facebook group, John. <laughs> I received it and I have joined. I'm 45 and I live near the Eastern shore in Greenwood, Delaware. 
I was a very heavy beer drinker, about 14 to 20 beers every night for about 11 years. Before that, I was a social beer drinker since the age of 14. But for some reason, after my third daughter was born, it turned into an every night thing. Alcoholism runs in my family, my father, his father, my uncle, and more. It definitely put a strain on my relationship with my husband. I didn't have a rock bottom. I was finally just tired of being sick and tired and drinking all the time. I feel like I was only able to stop drinking with the help of meds. I'm on the monthly shot of Vivitrol, and I'm not sure exactly what that is, but I'm assuming it's it's fairly similar to Anabuse or something like that. Anyway, you know, I really should uh, Google these things before I start into listener feedback. Nonetheless, and she says, and I feel like I'm kind of cheating when I see others working so hard to stop on their own, I am enjoying the sober life and I am grateful. I stopped. I worry about this summer, camping trips and cookouts with the families and friends. I do know in my heart I can never drink again without having it go back to exactly the way it was. And you know, Melanie, they say it's a progressive and uh, usually it doesn't go back to the way it was. It uh it uh, uh, progresses a little past that. At least that was my experience on three years in and out. I'll say that. Anyway, she says, I found Sober Speak while searching for sober podcasts on iHeartRadio. I go to AA meetings and have a home group, but have yet to sponsor or start any of the steps, which I know I need to do, exclamation point. I need to, I listen to a lot of podcasts, read a lot of books and memoirs. I also belong to Recovery Elevators private group, Cafe RE, as well as a few other private groups. Again, thanks for the invite. I look forward to hearing more of your your podcast, Melanie. Well, thank you, Melanie, and keep me posted, and good luck in your quest for sobriety. Gretchen. Oh, hello, Gretchen. Gretchen writes in, and she says, hello, John M. I have listened to every episode of Sober Speak. Well, that is 120, 130, something like that. I'm sure you know my library better than I do, Miss Gretchen, but I'm glad you're uh, I'm glad to be part of your journey. Anyway, she says, I found it by typing in, quote, sober on Spotify. I admire you and the work you do so much. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I admire you, Miss Gretchen, and the work that you put into being sober. She says, I listen in my car and when I'm out walking. Speaking of, I'm going to go do that right after I finish up this uh, uh, episode. And uh, uh, it's uh, I'm starting to lose daylight, so I better start talk quicker. Anyway, uh, I lost my space. Uh, Oh, I am coming up on one year sober in May. Good deal. Good deal. God willing, she says. The AA program, the big book, and the principles have completely changed my life. Your program has also played a special part for me. I adore listening to Gary K's wisdom. Andrew A is a favorite. He is so funny and real. Gretchen H. And then Gretchen wrote in one more time, and I wanted to get this in there while we were... This would be like a, a Gretchen Palooza here. Gretchen said, Hi, John. I listened to... Pray for Bryce on your podcast. That's the that's the very uh, previous uh, episode that we did uh, with Chris, and she says thank you for such a moving story. Well, it's Chris's story, but you're welcome. She says I live in Las Vegas, Las Wages. I go to ten. I go in 
10, I go on 10,000 step walks and listen to your podcast weekly. It's the perfect length for my steps. I truly appreciate what you do. It's very influential for my sobriety. You are my meeting between meetings. Thank you, Gretchen. Well, Gretchen, while you're on one of those walks in Vegas, uh, you'll get to hear yourself, your name a couple of times there. And thank you so much for, for writing in. Brandon writes in and Brandon says, Hey, John, I listened to your podcast. I'm trying to reach out to do anything that will help my sobriety. I had six months sober and relapsed for over a year, lost everything I had gained. Please add me to the mailing list as that would help me out. Thank you so much. God bless Brandon. Well, Brandon, I'm glad you made it back in. Uh, A lot of us have that story, uh, but I'm glad you got back up on that horse again and started riding it. Evan K writes in from, it's called, the subject line was AA in rural, rural, that's always a weird word for me to say, rural, 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 Ontario. He's a Canuck. Hi, John. My name is Evan Kay. I live in Wayne Fleet, Ontario, Canada. I am a member of the Wayne Fleet Big Book Discussion. My original dry date is March 16th, 2016, but I recently had to reset that to February 15th, 2020. I listened to your podcast on Spotify, and you are a vital part of my program right now, so I wanted to say thank you and God bless Evan. Well, thank you, Evan. I appreciate you right in and anybody who is hanging out up there in Wayne Fleet, Ontario, Canada, a rural <laughs> Ontario. We, if you know Mr. Evan, will you please give him a big hug for me? Well, when well, you can't do it right now, but eventually, I guess you'll be able to, like, you know, uh, maybe. Wash your hands first and then give him a big hug. I'm not really sure how the protocol, you know, I just thought about that. How is all that going to work when we finally all get back into the rooms? This is going to blow my mind. Will we still be holding hands saying the Lord's Prayer? Probably not. But anyway, we shall tackle that mountain. No, 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 no. I, I That I am a confusing, uh, I'm butchering cliches here. We shall tackle that issue when we come to it. We Oh, we shall climb that mountain when we come to it, when we reach it. But anyway, Leanne writes in, she says, hi, my name is Leanne. On December 29th, I celebrated 36 years of sobriety. A dear friend, Chris, told me about this podcast and I listened to it and, and here I am. I have only listened to one podcast thus far, but I am sure I will listen to more. I live in Lakewood, Colorado. Well, Miss Chris, if you're listening and uh, you're the one she's talking about, who you, you referred her over to this podcast, first of all, thank you from, from moi to you. And uh, tell Leanne I said hello. And congratulations, Leanne, on your 36 years of sobriety. Mike S. writes in and he says, the subject line was gratitude. He says, hello, John. I just wanted to take a moment to thank you for Sober Speak. I enjoy it very much. I think you do a great job and have had excellent speakers. May God bless you and continue to inspire your work, Mike 
S, who I almost said the last name there, sober for 334 days by the grace of God, fellowship, and AA. Well put, Mr. Mike, and uh, my gratitude goes out to you for listening and for letting me be part of your journey. So you guys, you know, this is... (laughs) I'm going on and on with the listener feedback. And believe me, there's more I could put in here. You guys are just absolutely incredible. I can't believe you write this much in here. Uh, it, it just makes me feel like a big part of a big, wonderful community. And, and I just soak it up. Susan writes in from across the pond. She says, hi, John. I've recently started listening to your podcast and I thoroughly enjoy it. I am from Dublin, Ireland, and I am currently at home with a lot as, as is everyone else, uh, uh, home a lot as is everyone else due, due to COVID-19. Uh, so blessed to have found your podcast to keep me in the light. Just listened to Adam T and found his input. Very interesting. Are you still in operation? God bless Susan. Well, yes. Yes, Susan, we're still in operation. We're, we're putting out podcasts and we have a Facebook group and we have an Instagram page. And yes, ma'am, we are still in operation just for you, Miss Susan across the pond. By the way, I got this from uh, Bill C, but Bill C said he was addressing a group in uh, Dublin, Ireland the other day via Zoom, and he said he wanted to go ahead and thank the people from Ireland for the gift of alcoholism, the the birthplace (laughs) of alcoholism. (laughs) So so my hats are off to you, Miss Susan. All right, anyway. All right, I think this is the last one. Yes, 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 yes. It is the last one. Ken R writes in, and he's Ken says, "I am Ken R on uh, in beautiful Mobile Bay in Sweet Home Alabama. Sweet Home Alabama, where the sky's always blue and the governor's true." He didn't put any of that in there. I added that part, but I just, you know, I had to break out into song. He says, my sober date is January 15th of 2014. My original sober date in AA was March 28th of 1978, but I relapsed after nearly 28 years of continuous sobriety. Wow. He says, similar to the story in chapter three, out came his carpet slippers and a bottle, unquote. Right. Oh, wow. And uh, he says, I am a, I am a Clancy Eyes lineage. I love most of the speakers at a particular website. This is a www.fredoyen.org. I have to go check that out. And, and Bill C and I are emailing buddies. Uh, in fact, I just started sponsoring a pigeon today in Mobile, Alabama, from Bill C., who referred me. Uh, Chris R. is one of my present-day AA heroes, and he and I correspond. John, in all this isolation and doing so much online and Zoom AAing, I don't recall... Um, how I came across you. Do you happen to know if it's okay to start showering again? 
or do we still have to just keep washing our hands? I don't know, kind of a random comment, Mr. Ken, but he says, so glad to quote, meet you, John. God bless AA, onward and upward, Ken R. Well, thank you, Ken R. Thank you for all, thank you for everybody who wrote in. I think... I will be back next week after I was just asked if I'm still in business. I'm still not sure exactly what that meant, but I think I will be back next week. I always say I take this one week at a time, folks. Uh, anyway, God bless you. Love you. Be well. And uh, keep coming back. It works if you work it. <laughs>